Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. My name is Aaron Osborne. I am your host this week. My guest is Mo Wise. Mo is one of the co-owners of Smith and Daughters, a fantastic restaurant in Melbourne, and Smith and Deli, a fantastic deli in Melbourne. Awesome. Uh, Mo is married to Callum Preston. Callum has been a guest on this podcast, both in person and live in person. And he talked about the restaurant and his involvement with that. So I, ever since then, have thought it would be pertinent to have Mo come and have a chat about the restaurant that she runs and how that came to be. And also the journey she took from growing up in Seattle and going to punk and hardcore shows and becoming vegan and then translating that to the, you know, the life that she leads now, running a vegan restaurant and a vegan deli. It's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, this is my chat with Mo. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to throw out there that in the coming days we'll have new shirts. And also, we have live podcast tickets for the show in Melbourne. Um, those are on our big cartel, so go have a look if you want to get in early. We'll also have the shirts up on the big cartel too. Um, thanks to everyone that's responded to the live podcast so far. It's going to be really fun. One up in Crowbar in Brisbane and then one at the Reverence down here in Melbourne. And thank you very much again to Young Henry's for providing us with some beer for those things. That will be awesome. So check out our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the website for any information on that stuff if you're interested. The conversation should be really fun. It'll be centered around music like last time, but it'll spread out to the different types of topics that I can cover with those guests. So check that stuff out. Enjoy this episode with Mo. It was awesome. Really fun to chat to her. We didn't talk too much about, you know, the standard music industry chat that occasionally happens on this podcast. It was actually quite interesting and enjoyable to talk about something different. Uh, Not that music industry chat isn't interesting, but yeah, it was fun to do something a little bit different. So please enjoy episode 45 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with... Mo Wise from Smith and Daughters. Oh, fuck. I forgot to say fucking brutal. Mo, welcome to my podcast very weird saying hi to people when you've just been talking to them i i like saying hi (laughs) (laughs) well thank you hey (laughs) erin thanks for coming to my house oh welcome it's such a nice house oh thank you um so start all them off by asking how people got into music how did music become an interest for you so i knew that so i was thinking about it all day (laughs) Because I'm a prepared person, (laughs) and I even asked if I needed to bring anything, like show and tell, on a podcast, which is a very silly question. We could have taken pictures. True. Yeah, we didn't. I didn't bring anything, (laughs) just for the uh, at-home listeners. But it's really funny, because I got into music um, because my dad was always a really musical kind of a guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of my, and he worked all the time, both my parents did, we didn't really spend a lot of time doing fun or social things as a family because they worked so much. And uh, Sundays was always the day that we got to have with my mom and my dad. Mm -hmm. And my favorite memories as a child, probably my very first memories were my dad driving us on errands that he needed to do for work, but making them into adventures. And Very good. he would turn on the classical music station mm-hmm. and tell us stories uh, <laughs> while the classical music was playing. And it was all about like dragons being slayed by wow. princesses and princes. And somehow my brother and sister and I would all be involved in the story. And that was like a really magical thing. And that's sick. It was. And it made my dad this total superhero. We literally got to spend probably five hours a week with him. And it was the most amazing childhood memory, I think. Um, He just really, I think, put a lot of 
effort into that very little time that he had with us and oh, wow. it was all it was a lot of it was through music mm. and he taught us appreciation of literally every kind of music from really young age um he was a rock and roll kind of a guy that's awesome <laughs> he uh admittedly now to this day still really only knows louie louie but uh was in <laughs> he's into it <laughs> he was into rock and roll bands and i think they only covered that song so it would have been like a set of um him in high school playing that song in like five different ways um but he did actually that that's selling him out he um he was a guitar teacher that that paid his way through university a little bit and yeah wow so he um he always had really awesome rock and roll and jazz and all sorts of really great stuff in the house so in the small amount of time when i actually learned how to appreciate music you know i'd always kind of get a little lesson from him but it was more political in terms of how I got into, you know, sort of the alternative music and punk yeah, right. and hardcore and stuff. Because I remember really looking up to these girls in my high school. I went to an all-girls school and they took me to my first show. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what was going on, but it was it was the turning point for me in terms of music. And it was um, a trial show. Okay. And I... I think my eyes were just, they're really big eyes, my eyes, (laughs) and I think they nearly like bug-eyed out like Bart Simpson when I walked in, and and uh, Greg was on stage, and coincidentally, we're now friends, and he married Callum and I, which is really funny, but he, (laughs) so I was 14, I figured it out, and he was talking about the country and environmentalism and all sorts of things that I, in my really meek learning to that point... Didn't even think that anything outside of what I'd been told would, would have been a reality, could have been a reality. Mm-hmm. And he literally took an American flag and he ripped it in half. And I remember thinking, he's going to go to jail. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't do that. The flag doesn't even touch the ground. And then, you know, he sort of like listed off all these amazing books and talked about, you know, educating yourself. And I was like, but I am. I go to school. And yeah. But then it was, you know, read People's History of the United States. And... Mm-hmm read Diet for New America. And I did. I I went home and read those things and went vegan and started going to hardcore shows. And it was just like my whole world just yeah, wow. went upside down. And and uh, I think it definitely came from caring a lot. You know, maybe it didn't come in from like, I really love this heavy music, but I really care about what you're talking about. Yeah. And then, it, then that came later because it was social and There's all these really awesome young youth crew positive bands starting in Seattle, like going to champion shows and these people that had a lot of really great energy and they really cared about, you know, really great things, but also hanging out and and being a support system for each other. Sure. And what was it? What was it like (laughs) for you outside of that then in, I guess, like the normal world friendships and school environment and stuff what was that like comparatively was it something that you needed to step away from is that why you think you associated so well with punk and hardcore and stuff like that well i think and i don't think this is a bad thing to assimilate to some degree but i think i've always been really i don't know if diplomatic's the right word but i've always been just really interested in knowing everyone and everything and knowing where they're coming from so I was friends with a lot of people um in my world that I wouldn't have agreed with politically or we wouldn't have shared the same views yeah and I think I kind of had to go into school knowing that there was a lot of people that had a lot of different values than I did and um I was fortunate enough to have the two girls that brought me to my first show as role models and they were starting high school when I was starting sort of middle school. So I got to be with them for four years. So I had them to sort of lean on a bit. So okay. even though it was only two people in the whole student body, That's like still... they were, yeah, they yeah. were, and they brought me to shows, heaps of shows and they were really awesome, but I had really supportive parents. So that let me to go to shows on the weekends, not on school nights, Yep. even though I definitely did. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. And yeah, exactly. And I think uh, that, you know, even though it sounds really funny, I was involved with the Jewish Community Center mm-hmm. um, and there was a really awesome sort of 
venue that we had built within the Jewish Community Center that had punk and hardcore shows. That was cool. awesome. So it was like this trusted family place that I had been going to for summers, like summer camp. And then I became a counselor, but we ran shows in the venue. So there's a lot of really great outside support. So even though I didn't really have the same value systems as a lot of the girls that I went to school with, I think they embraced me way more than a, a lot of your classic, like, oh, that's that, you know, punk chick with the crazy colored hair and yeah, the right. eyebrow piercing because that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, and it pierced twice. Um, yeah, so I think they, I think I was really lucky. And I had mm. a really awesome, I know it sounds funny, history teacher that was really supportive um, of being alternative in the school. Yeah. So I think even if I raised some eyebrows with some of the uh, administration, she always kind of had my back, which was great. Yeah. So go Sue Turner. Woo. Thanks for that. Um, I, I had a similar thing where like, I think like, I, I mean, I went to a public school in Canberra and like a, you know, by no means was it like a posh area or anything. Like it was, you know, was pretty rough at the best of times. Um, but like, it, it was really funny how when you get involved with something like punk and hardcore or metal or whatever, it is really weird to everyone that's not a part of it. Mm. So it is really great when you have people like, like my, similarly, my mum was very supportive. She didn't understand it. Yeah. Hated the music, couldn't get <laughs> behind it at all, but was like, could see that when I was hanging out with my friends, I wasn't getting in trouble. I wasn't like, you know, doing really dumb things or anything. I was just, you know, playing guitar with my friends, you know, yeah. and like, sure that inevitably led to getting drunk sometimes and smoking weed and doing dumb shit. But like none of it was in a sense or a frame that would ever be like negative or harmful to myself. Mm -hmm. And on top of that as well, like in the later years of my high schooling, I had a teacher who was the same, who was like kind of an alternative dude. Yeah. He wore like Melvin shirts. Cool. And I was like, you know, he had long hair and it was the fucking coolest guy ever. Um, he inevitably at some point became the world air guitar champion. Of course. Very sick. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yep. Uh, he was my English teacher when I was in year 10. Um, but it, it is really... I don't know. It's one of those things like I all throughout doing a teaching degree and stuff like that. They talk to you about like the kind of teacher you want to be. And the, the one that I always had in my head was like, not the cool guy that wears Melvin's shirts, but like, I want to be <laughs> someone who you remember. Yeah. Who's like, you know, maybe wasn't the best teacher in terms of delivering content, but at least made you feel positive yeah. about your experience at school. And I think, you know, people, I don't know, not supporting, but like ushering you towards something that they can see that you're passionate about mm. is awesome. Totally. And like, I think a lot of schools are missing out on that. And a lot of kids are missing out on it and getting into stuff like heavy music and things like that for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, like, I think at least now in the last sort of 10 years that I've noticed is like, a lot of people get into it purely for like frustration or yeah. to get out some, you know, demons or whatever, as opposed to seeing like, you know, and it's fine to get into it from that as long as the end result is finding that positive, not just totally. using it as like, I don't know, like a bad device for yourself. Yeah, I'm misunderstood everywhere else in my life and I need to find something and oftentimes it's the alternative music scene, but also, or whatever it is, alternative to the mainstream, but yeah. it involves destructive other sure. things, substances or self-harm or whatever it might be, because you don't feel like you connect with your community that you're sort of being forced into. So mm. I think it's really important that making a difference in a child's life in terms of helping them to find out what they actually care about. Yeah. I, I think standard curriculum is so misguided, you know, in yeah. terms of, yes, it's really good to know all these things. Yes, it's good to impart some common sense. And, mm. but I do think that, and, and basic knowledge, but I do think that that is, you hit the nail on the head in terms of, 
being given your sort of array of options and paths to go down and, yeah. and what makes the most sense to you as a person because you're not the same as you you over there and you back there and yeah yeah and i think i think it's really funny because <coughs> i it wasn't that i had an issue with the community that i was put into in any of the places in my life at the jewish community center at my Catholic all-girls school, you know, mm. at anywhere else that I was. But it was that I identified the most with these people from this alternative music scene that was really special and then incorporating it back into my family, back into, yeah, um, you know, my school environment. And, I mean, I think I was in a really unique circumstance, but I was really s- sort of <coughs> celebrated because I didn't sort of follow the, the every, yeah. what everyone else was doing. But I think the school was really special. And I think that um, I was really sort of lucky that my parents didn't just let us f- sort of go with the flow. Like they, like we worked from young age, yeah. you know, and we were really, there was not a lot of other kids in my school that had jobs. So that yeah, was right. really important. And and I think they really did encourage us to sort of exist in a lot of different places. And yeah. I think that's really important. So you do get to choose and yeah. you do get to see. It's like you can't really make a decision on anything if you haven't been sort of exploring. I mean, it's yeah. why travel is really important. It's why, mm. you know. I think and I, I think that's something that definitely gets lost in, I don't know what it's like in America, but definitely here with the pressure of something like university. So like there's an enormous pressure on people to either decide that the day they finish year 12, they either need to go to university or pick up a trade. Like Mm. those are the two paths you can take. There is so little emphasis on actually experiencing the world. Like, I mean, a lot of people take gap years and things like that, but to most people that do that, that doesn't mean going to like, learn something it means like i need to get the fuck away from my parents for one year yeah before i have to go to university so i'm gonna go get as drunk as possible in (laughs) as many different countries as i can and learn nothing but that's your expectation you have to do it yeah yeah well i thought it was really weird because when i first came here i thought the gap year concept was crazy yeah (laughs) because especially where i'm from you you only have one choice you go to university Mm. Or college, you know, it's kind of the same thing. But yeah. you literally are enrolling, you're studying to take the SAT to get into university from junior year, from year 11. Yeah. You know, you're, you have no other choice. That's mm. what you do. And, you, and actually, even the students that don't want to go to university, you still take the SAT. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and the pressures to take the classes, to prepare for it, and then you can retake it and you can, it's outrageous it it's the magnified version of the american schooling system whereby the people that literally have children that are unborn in their stomachs and they're already like attending the seminars for their kinder that will then influence how what university they go to (laughs) it's it's shocking but you don't have a choice really i mean and and that's not a um a slag on my parents. It's just what you do. You just yeah. go to university straight away. Well, you don't I'm... have a think. And that's what some, maybe a little bit backwards, because, you know, what we we're just talking about with choosing to know, you know, knowing what you want to study and it, it's impossible. And there's so much emphasis on freshmen and um, sophomores. So um, the first, the first two years of university to find out what you want to do, but wouldn't you rather know what you want to do before you invest in four years of highly outrageously expensive university well that's the other thing for me was like i mean when i was in school i like i mean i didn't want to do it at all all i wanted to do was play music that was it and Mm. then so in part of that all i did in school was do music stuff because i was like this is what i want to do but then you know midway through doing that i realized like oh they don't teach death metal. Yeah. They teach fucking jazz or this or this or this. So I started doing jazz because I was like, this is all, this is the only, the closest thing to. I'm taking this because it's the only yeah. thing that I can take. And then, you know, I did that and I did, you know, okay at it. And then I finished school and 
like, you know, quite a lot of people, I assume in Australia, I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I didn't go to university straight away. And then within like a day of doing that, I was like, fuck, I need a job. Like I can't live off playing drums in my garage. So Mm. I just got a job at a childcare center. And then after two years of doing that, that was when I realized like, oh, okay. So if I can't do music forever, the other thing I'm going to be good at is doing stuff with kids. Right. But had I like, you know, not listened to myself and not listened to my head. And, you know, my mum was pretty good about it as well. She could see that I didn't want to go do music. But if I'd pushed myself down that path, I'm sure I'd be fucking miserable with my choices. And I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at now because I just, you know, sat and took a breather, even if it was just for like, you know, a year. You know, I didn't, I mean, I did travel and did some stuff like that. But then at the same time, I found that this is the other thing that makes sense to me, you know? And like, I feel like, I mean, I know a lot of people that missed out on that. That didn't figure out what they wanted to do until... I mean, I literally think that... I mean, I can't imagine what New York University tuition is now, but when I was going there, it was... It was the feasible um, amount of someone's life savings just for one year. And I didn't know what I wanted to do for a good two years. I thought I wanted to be a journalist. And I went, and it was like... a. It was literally like a factory farm. There was yeah. 400 students. The teacher didn't want to be there. I mean, this is one of the most prestigious schools in yeah. America. And I was like, holy moly. This this is what they talk about with, mm. you know. I, it was like the ultimate in like the political, everything that I learned growing up. You know, it was, wow, just the imbalances between, you, you know, social status and... And I was just shocked. And fortunately, there was an amazing sub-university within it that was um, called Gallatin, and it's an individualized study school. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of for the misfits that don't really know what they want to do or really know what they want to do. You yeah. can make a really specific degree. So I got to actually do journalism on a much more individualized level with yeah. classes of 20 people and then got to work in sort of an animal rights and environmentalism and social justice sort of angle and history and economics somehow work their way in there. It sounds really ambiguous, but it was exactly what I wanted to do. And that was really great. But I, I feel like that your experience is, um, you know, you're saying, oh, there's so much pressure, but it's, it's 20 fold. It's a hundred fold for, American kids, the expectation yeah. is crazy. It's there is a lot of truth to like, well, you better be good at something, and you better get recognized. Otherwise, you're going straight to university, and um, and then you're gonna flail for yeah, maybe yeah. even four years, waste all this money in tuition, and then what are you gonna be left with? A degree in something, but do you really care? You might be miserable being a jazz teacher. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was I think probably one of the things that's been like most surprising to me in my adult life is meeting a lot of people from America, becoming friends with American people and realizing that most of them have university degrees, but none of them do what their degree is. (laughs) Nothing to do with their degree. I mean, my dad jokes with me all the time and he's like that New York university uh, degree is really doing well (laughs) while you're a, restaurant owner in australia yeah <laughs> yeah and, uh, it's not a straight line from yeah there. yeah so i um <coughs> I, it's it's amazing because i i do think there should be i mean don't honestly don't get me started on the education <laughs> system in america but yeah. it's it is really shocking in terms of the despair like just how far it is yeah from being from guiding children to creating or, or empowering them with their decisions and mm. and showing them that you don't have to be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, yeah. well, I mean, I, social I, worker, whatever. I think the biggest one that stood out for me was a, a guy that recorded one of the I Exist records. He went to university on a baseball scholarship, you know, because 
like I'm sure a lot of people in America do. They get That's in what on, I'm talking about, recognized. Yeah. Like, so you think that's going to be your career forever. He got in on a baseball scholarship and then he started doing like an anthropology degree or something like that. And now he's a record producer. And it's yeah. like, how do you go from being like, <laughs> like they thought he was going to be a baseball star. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so crazy that that's how things end up. And it is really crazy too because, you know, you said otherwise you just get a trade yeah but what i think is really funny is if you get a trade in america it's it's amazing how uh sort of lowbrow that is in terms of you know there's trade schools there but it's like you want to be a car mechanic you want to be a contractor like it's what you do if you sort of fail but it's amazing that's one thing i loved when i came here i'm like oh my god they're plumbers and they're construction workers they're all really highly regarded here and they're well paid and I mean, I, I think grass is always greener, but I look at Australia. When I first came here, especially, I was like, wow, the, the kids have this ability to take a year off and decide what they want to do. That's so cool. And if you decide to do a trade, they're really highly regarded. And a lot of times, you know, the fam- it's passed on through the family. And yeah. so, you know, your great grandfather might have been a plasterer. I think that's really cool. That doesn't really exist. Mm. And there's a lot... It's so amazing with America, made in the USA and, you know, but people don't know how to make things anymore or build things or repair things. And it's (laughs) a really big problem in America. Yeah. And, uh, and I just think that I, I think when I came here, I was really shiny and excited about how, just how different it was. But I also thought it was really weird that Australians seem to be pressured into buying property at really young ages yeah i think that's really strange because you kind of in america you you have this crazy path of like you go to university and you get your job one of the five you know doctor lawyers (laughs) or whatever and then you know you get married and you have some kids and then you save up for a property Mm. so it's like quite far down the line but i'm like whoa 18 year olds are like buying shit yeah well i i I don't really know i mean i guess that that was never really imposed on me but like I think, um, and I guess because I came from a background where my mum was like, you know, when my mum finished school, she went overseas for years before she figured out what she wanted to do. So she was totally fine with us doing whatever we want. But there's definitely like, I mean, my sister's husband, I mean, you know, I won't speak for him, but he he bought property at quite a young age and I'm not sure why that was for him. But I, I mean, I know people that I went to school with who were like, when we finish year 12, they're like, I'm just saving to buy a house. Yeah. I was like, you're fucking 18, bro. Yeah. What do you need a house for? And what about all the beer Your mum's got a house. Yeah. You're living at home. What about the beer money? But what I think is really funny too is, um, and maybe it's different just because my partner lived at home while I was going through university. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I was 18 and not because I don't have an awesome family that I really enjoyed living with, but I was out. I was like, I am moving to New York. I've never been there. I just know I'm going to love it and I'm going to move there, which is a very common thing. You move out of home straight away. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was amazing that there's, so yes, buying property, but also that it seemed like a lot of Australian kids, especially had really great relationships with their family and lived with their families a lot longer, which I thought was really nice. And whether or not that's a financial thing or otherwise, I just thought that's really nice because you're kind of out. You're you're kind of peace out when it's you're expected 18. expected of you. Yeah. Leave the home. And for better or for worse, you're out. Like, mm. you just... You That's go. It. You go to university. You get an apartment. You yep. scrape by. It's just a thing. And yeah. I thought, yeah, Australia's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, well, not just for those welcome. reasons. But I do love it. <laughs> oh, thanks. I think I'll stay. <laughs> um, can I live at your mom's house? <laughs> you can. I'm sure she'd love to have you. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. It's sort of, it is really interesting that stuff, but like, I guess how then for you did, um, the music and like alternative sort of culture and things like that, how did that shape, um, you know, your decision-making beyond, you know, once you left that community and that environment that you would sort of, you know, you spoke about that was sort of 
you know, you helped build up there yeah. and then you made that change to going to New York. How was that? How did that transition then for you? Well, it's kind of amazing because the first night that I was in New York by myself and I didn't realize how special and fortunate I was, but my first sort of transition apartment was in Union Square, mm-hmm. which is awesome. But at the time I was like, I don't know where I am or what I'm doing. <laughs> it's really busy and there's a lot of people just like on the movies and it was amazing because I remember picking up the stranger or the village voice, stranger Seattle. Sorry. I remember picking up the village voice and flipping to the show section and going, I'm going to go to this show. And it was awesome because it was the blood brothers, which is a <laughs> Seattle band. So <laughs> felt like you're at home. <laughs> I went and then ended up in Brooklyn and meeting my very first friend that I ever met in New York, this guy named Brendan Casey, who ended up getting me like, just my lifetime friendships introducing me to these people and my first job and my first bike and it all happened on that first night and I remember thinking the sort of alternative music scene is a really special place that I could have gone from literally you know 3,000 oh my god am I gonna get that wrong Seattle to New York the other side of the the country country, Perth to Sydney It's, uh, it's been so long. I've been away for so long. Um, yeah, well, Washington State to New York, the diametrically opposed parts of the country, and yeah. we were that far away, and on the very first night in a strange city when I probably shouldn't have gone out by myself. Well, maybe, I don't know. And I went to the show, and I met this awesome guy who, like, said, hey, and you know these people and these people. Well, I mean, through the Blood Brothers, and mm. then it was just... You know, I felt really thankful for the music scene and for sort of, I guess, um, being a part of it for so long and contributing in terms of putting on shows and stuff because I'd known the guys yeah. from, you know, really loving their music as a young person and then putting on shows for other young people to enjoy and then going in what it would have been, I don't know, maybe a scary situation for an 18-year-old yeah. who just moved from home and it was really cool and... You know, everything else that came from it, just, it's, it's who I have in my life now. I mean, it's all, yeah, it's crazy. I have this big thing about meant to be, and mm-hmm. I just think that you have to believe in something and that's yeah. it for me. And, and I, and I also believe in hard work and in the sense of putting work into relationships and work, work, and it all just, you, you know, there has to be some sort of getting back of what yeah, you put a in and for it. totally yeah. and I really am thankful for for that because that night of just sort of being um spontaneous and going out and then taking trains I'd never taken subways before <laughs> not yeah. really any public transport and it was so cool and and it's like I got this job at this vegan place and I'd been vegan already for like four years and I met other vegans and I was like, whoa, that's really crazy. And <laughs> he's going to show me where the ice cream place is and the cake and yeah. I love cake and ice cream. So, <laughs> okay. So beyond the little Seattle music scene, New York was really easy because such an awesome scene. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like anything in life, you don't realize what you have until you're, you know, 10 years later. And you're yeah, like, exactly. What the hell? I was seeing all these like really epic bands and, it was just like a train ride away and you're like, hey, maybe I'll go see Sigurdra. I don't know, whatever, you know, <laughs> maybe I'll just, but you went, you went every weekend. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, because you weren't living at home, I just went to every show I could and mm. like going to CBGB's and going to New Jersey for shows and catching a bus to Boston and you just did it. And it was the best, Yeah, yeah. you know, being just freshly out of home having that sort of try or five state area of amazing music all the time felt spoiled. Yeah. I asked for a lot of days off work, did a lot of (laughs) swapping things around of this new epic job that I had. Uh Um, I never skipped class ever, which is good. That's Um, impressive. But you know how it is when you go from being in high school to university and you're like, I don't have to sit in class eight hours straight. This is crazy. I'm going to go to a hardcore show after (laughs) after school. Um, But I think, you know, when you do get into that point of sort of being um, an adult and getting to make your own schedule and 
and realizing that you're going to make these friendships that you're going to have forever. Mm. Uh, and you realize that you can choose who you want to be with, not just the people that are in the same um, high school setting or music setting just because they're the only people you have. Yeah, yeah. And New York was really... Your network starts broadening quite Totally. Well. And New yeah. York was awesome for that because there were so many people involved in so many of the same interests that I had in, you know, punk and hardcore, in being vegan, in having a really sort of strong work ethic. And yeah. there was some really amazing people. And it's kind of funny because in my whole life, people are like, don't live with your best friends. Don't go into business with your friends. And I've done, I've done both of those things <laughs> and have been um, massively rewarded for it. And yeah. still people that I just love. And and yeah, it, that, the only it, hard part about being here is mm. those people, you know, New York was really pivotal for me. And yeah. That's one of those things, though, I think that's sort of a, a common misconception is that, like, I guess people who've maybe been, you know, have had a bad result with things like that, you know, that that's where the bad side to that is. But I've never, you know, every, I would say, like, milestone achievement that I've had in my life outside of my, you know, sort of professional angle that I'm going for with the other stuff that I do, everything else that I've done has come from relationships that I've made none of it has none of it has come from like random luck or just you know walking down the street and something happened all of it is from like like pointing to a number in a phone book and calling up like no all of it's been like people me or my friends or to collectively like busting your asses enjoying yourself Mm. and then it you get rewarded for it like and that that's like the only thing that I think about doing stuff like this, still playing music, anything like that is like, just keep trying. Even yeah. if it's shitty sometimes, whatever. But like really, and I know that I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I just think that there's not really any such thing as a negative experience because there's so much to learn from even the worst things that happen yeah. to you. I mean, re- I, I know it's really easy to say, but it's so so true but so it is and you can't look at things as regret like oh i really regret that because like what what's it gonna what what are you what better to do with that like 30 seconds of bitching about regretting this or that like it you can't get that 30 seconds yeah 30 years back the, the proof of the proof that that statement is true is the fact that you know yourself and i know myself too have been through a bunch of shit yeah and Still here, still fine. Like, and and you know. have the drive to keep doing yeah. more things because you know that... I just... I do think that if you really, really want something and you're really passionate about it, I mean, so many people ask, which is really flattering, but they ask, you know, how do you, how do, you do it? How do you, you know, how are you still <laughs> awake? Um, <laughs> you know, and how do you... How do you know how to do this? these things that you do? And it's like, I didn't. I didn't know how to do any of these things. I yeah. didn't, you know, go to school for it or read a book about it or anything. It's just you have to just basically, um, what, what am I trying to say? You basically have to turn your passion into just pure hard work and yeah. making things happen, you know, and use all your resources. And I would totally dedicate a large part of that to the music scene. Yeah. Just knowing the crazy, craziest story of this whole thing. I met Callum at a Meshuggah concert because <laughs> Bronwyn Love was like, story. you have to introduce, I have to introduce you to my friend. He's not working, whatever. And then here I am married to this guy that I met <laughs> eight years ago with my eyes half shut because I was jet lagged at a Meshuggah show. But like, I wouldn't have known Bronwyn if it hadn't been for her um, half-owning Disrail Lines and having to come to America mm. and needing a place to crash in New York because yeah. she was looking out for American bands to tour Australia. Like, you can't say that that... I mean, that is life-changing. That yeah. Bronwyn was in my life, that she put Callum and just... Yeah, yeah. And that has everything to do with music. Yeah. You know, and we're really fortunate to have such an awesome like group of people that do share the same values and it's just it's just amazing yeah i mean and i i think a similar thing like i mean i you know made a pretty big leap at least amongst like my direct friendship group 
um, when I moved here from Canberra and, you know, when I moved here and then I met lots of people and then I started, you know, sort of feeling differently about myself and differently about how I was interacting with things. But like all the things that came up for my band and the friendships that I have all came from coming here. Yeah, right. As far as I, I can pinpoint them to. How long ago was that? Um, six years now, I think I've lived here. I mean, I, I made a lot of friends before I moved here and a lot of that stuff had started growing and started spreading out. But I mean, the, the biggest thing for me was sort of, uh, with coming here was like confirming uh, my place in that network that mm-hmm. I'd set up because I still have the connection to Canberra. I still have the ties that I have there, but putting myself here, taking myself away from it, helped me spread myself out mm-hmm. down here and t- to things here. And I guess similarly to like yourself going to New York, I guess in Australia, this is probably the comparable place for doing things artistically, I guess. Like, you know. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but do you think... I have a question for you. Go on. Do you think that Canberra's missing something because you're not there? As in, you know, the bands that you're in and the stuff that you're doing and the influence you have on sort of this pocket of the music scene and... I mean, I like, it's not that I don't feel like at all me leaving Canberra was like... Camera's crying. There are the whole, the whole state crying. Leaving, leaving them without something. I just think for me and what I wanted to do and how I was like the things I was passionate about, I couldn't get out in Canberra just because of, and you know, it's not a bad thing, but how tight knit it is and how everyone's a part of everything. And a lot of it is very insular in the sense that it doesn't expand outside of Mm. Canberra. So I'm going to tell Canberra you said that Canberra love you. <laughs> I'll be there next weekend, but, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, I, I know exactly what yeah. you mean. And like, th- that's not the experience for everybody. Yeah. Like I, I'm sure people have the exact same experience I have from going to Canberra Yeah. because it's what you make of it. You know? Totally. And I have, I have two sort of points about that because I think there's a lot of Something that I've had to face while being here is that I think it's really strange that uh, Australians really love America so much, but mm-hmm. I think it's because you guys were raised with all the pop culture stuff, yeah. and there's, I mean, I think that well, the, our, world, our... the world loves America for whatever reason, even though there's, so, I mean, we have so much darkness, and... Yeah, well, but that, that side of it, uh, up until, I guess, recently... Has never really been broadcast no, on the yeah, rest of the world. Definitely. But I think America does influence this country. I mean, the fact that I think most Australians right now know more about what's going on with the political election in America right now says a lot about America. Yeah. So I think my point about that is that's something I've had to really face because... I'm here and everyone really loves America, but I think people don't understand how good it is here mm. because there's such, I mean, and I overstress this really overtired uh, expression, which is the big fish in the little pond. Yeah. If anyone thinks that they can make a difference in America, I wish you well. Yeah. And like I said before, I think that hard work achieves what you put into it. And I do think that you can work really hard and make a difference in whatever way you want, anywhere you are. But here, there's something really special about people, especially in Melbourne, they really, really support you. Mm. And not just because we've been really fortunate to have businesses that are well supported by really awesome people and staff. But I think that says, I, th- I think that the whole, especially this state, like, yeah. and well, city of Melbourne, um, they just really care about what people are doing, big or small. Yeah. And I think that the big fish thing is a really, really important thing because it feels like there's a lot of big fishes swimming around here. Mm-hmm. And uh, doing really good and important and valuable things that people are placing as really important, big and valuable things whereby look at celebrity worship. I mean, everywhere, but in America, yeah. it's like... So these people are really popular and these restaurants are really popular and it's just like, and whatever it is, is really popular, but for the wrong, all the wrong reasons. Sure. But here I think there's a lot of embracing of people doing really good things for all the right reasons. Mm. And I think that that's a really important thing. But the second point being, I have a friend who 
sort of refuses to leave um, Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And she can really make a difference in Sydney and Melbourne. And people, you know, say all the time, when are you going to move here? When are you going to move here? Yeah. You'll love it here. You'll be so important here. And she does a lot of really great things for veganism and animal rights. And she's like, but I haven't, I've, I have things to do here. Yeah. And she's really pivotal in, pivotal in the scene in Newcastle. And I think that she's a really great example of, you know, you, as you just said, you know, I think there's a lot of people that go to those places and they say, yep, this is, this is where I'm going to be. And, yeah. and she's such a good example of that. Just, I'm going to be here. And I'm going to help all these restaurants discover vegan options. And I'm going to, you know, do sort of help with PR and and it, and really embrace what is the potential here. Mm. And it's it's all not egotistical. It's in, in any way on her part, on my part, saying that, you know, we can all be big fish in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, but yeah sure. I think there's something really special about sticking to your guns and embracing your community in whatever way it is. And, yeah. and that I think that I feel really lucky for being here and, you know, achieving the potential that I want in this really amazing place and Mm. having the support systems that we do. I just don't know if it would, people, people say all the time, it would totally exist in other places, but I just don't know if that's true. Yeah. I think, I think Melbourne's Well, this is the experience that you have. I think it's really special. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess, well, that, you know, ties in well to saying like, how did everything, you know, with starting a business like that and those ideas, how did that get rolling for you once you got over here? So... What was the drive to get it done? It was my fear, great mm-hmm. fear, of not working maybe for a single day. Yeah. I was really worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe says something not so great about me because I really do work all the time and I do love working Mm -hmm. but um I was really stressed out about that and I went on Gumtree because I really loved Craigslist in America (laughs) and Callum assured me that it was okay so it does start with Callum I should say because we were I decided I'm going back sorry I have to start like five times over it's okay so I had met Bronwyn the friend I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. and she always begged me to come to Australia and I said that's a faraway place that I'd like to go when I'm like 60 years old and go to the Great Barrier Reef and that's all I know about Australia and it's really beautiful (laughs) but I but it'll never happen and my dad uh at the time so they own a a family company that my grandfather started in the 50s and they just asked that I come and be involved in a really unique line that was um so it's a beauty supply company Mm -hmm. And they said, it's this really great vegan Australian skincare line and you can go to Australia and how great. And so they kind of wooed me away from New York where I was doing some really great sort of PR and marketing stuff. That's sort of the path that I was going down once the magazine I was working for closed. And I said, sure, and came to Australia pretty much the first week after moving back to Seattle. Wow. And, um, and I met my now husband through Bronwyn at the Meshuggah show. But um, I was here for three weeks total and totally fell in love with Melbourne. But I just, it was still just a place I was coming to visit for work. And Callum and I vowed that we wouldn't fall in love because that's a really stupid thing to do. Mm-hmm. 8,000 miles away, literally the farthest away place. And then it happened. And yep. um, so long story short, long distance romance. And we did several years apart. And then he, we spawned my family's company's sponsored him to go there it's probably a lot longer answer than you needed but he did two years there I and, welcome then, it. and then we uh decided that we really wanted to do our own thing and yeah. that melbourne would be the right place and he didn't really have to tuck me into it too hard i was pretty excited to sort of try a different place and yeah um i felt like what we could do for my family's company was all that we did and we worked really hard and we sort of reinvigorated the company and Mm -hmm. gave it a new face and did a lot of really awesome things but it's you know it's like over 50 years old and it's um you gotta make your own thing totally and we came here and okay now zooming forward to me being stressed out about finding work and i went on (laughs) gumtree and i responded to an ad as an events sort of coordinator for this outdoor market that was literally on the street that we had gotten an apartment on <laughs> in a car park that didn't exist yet. Yeah. And 
I basically, I wouldn't say lied to my prospective employer at the time, but I said I knew a lot more than I did about the city. Mm-hmm. I said, look, I know I'm American, but you need someone who's going to coordinate all these vendors and put on a really great bar and food and music and art and all this stuff. But I, I know an artist, you know, Callum's an artist and... <laughs> You know, but I... I live with an artist. I just... Uh, I know all these things. And so I learned Melbourne really quick. Yeah. Because it was basically coordinating an outdoor event space that had all of those elements to it, but they all rotated. So I had to learn the city really quickly. Yeah. And it was probably the coolest way to do it. And I met a lot of really like great chefs and artists and musicians and bartenders. And it was a whirlwind and it was stressful and... You know, my boss at the time just poured all of their, you know, family money into making this amazing space happen, but gave me total control, which I was like, I don't really deserve this, but I'm going to just run with <laughs> yeah, it. And yeah. it was so awesome. When it, when it, when People's Market was in its heyday, it was so awesome. But that was me meeting Shannon, who's mm-hmm. um, who we own Smith & Daughters with now. And I basically insisted to my boss that I needed to have a vegan food option and you know, I was totally cool with getting other food vendors involved, but I felt it really important to have yeah, sure. one space that was vegan, just for my personal beliefs. And um, I called Paul Milne because he had um, the cafe at the time. Of course, I'm forgetting the name of it now. Oh. 99 Problems? Yeah, the one that was yeah, in 99 in Problems. Oh, yeah, anyway, and I said, hey... I've met you a couple times. Um, <laughs> do you think you'd want to do a vegan food place at this thing that doesn't exist? And I've been totally just fanta... I mean, I was under the spell of these people and I just made up that this amazing magical place was going to happen because they'd never done anything like it before. Mm. They were building everything out of shipping containers. And we just made up this sort of Willy Wonka's land of like awesome outdoors summer experiences. And... He said, no, I really can't do it, but I know this really awesome woman that can. And that was meeting Shannon at the gas Mm -hmm. and just totally being sort of mesmerized by like her just amazing enigmatic personality. And she was just loud and really excitable and just down for anything. And I loved that. And the real sort of revelation for both of us was when the people's market was underway and it was really hard work in really long days and so such hot weather we were always the first one there and always the last one to leave. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where I feel like she really understood how much I sort of appreciated what she was trying to do and and the actual product that she was creating. Because I just kept saying, you're very different from everything out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that I know the world, but I've eaten a lot of vegan food and I've supported a lot of vegan businesses and you're just very different and you're special and we should do something. And I remember just thinking, I've just never met anyone like her. And I feel like I could just fully be behind her Mm -hmm. and support something together. And just, it was a crazy feeling because that was literally like the day that I was like, I'm going to sign away everything I own to undertaking something else that totally doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And um, we decided that we're gonna have this restaurant didn't exist we were anyway so we spent literally the next year just having these weekly dinners at her house and planning this amazing restaurant that didn't exist and we're just like you know we had come up with the name and the logo and it was just like we are so far ahead of ourselves because she at the time was working for the guys at the Sweetwater and that was an amazing story but they basically needed 75% of their revenue to be food and they thought they were just going to run a bar. And so they needed Shannon and she went in there and just blew everything up like she always does. Mm -hmm. And I got a job working at Channel 7 producing a TV show and that was really fun. But I literally answered a call onto the desk like, hey, I found the location of our restaurant. And I was like, get the fuck out. You know, and (laughs) um, I had a doctor's appointment that I suddenly had to go to and Mm -hmm. that was it and we signed the lease like two weeks later yeah that's crazy so yeah that's probably a really long version of what you asked for but it was really special and then I think our energy and obviously with using a lot of using with relying and 
just working hard and asking every single person we know to contribute in some way, mm. we just made it happen. I mean, and it was all on our own. Like, we didn't have any financial support, and we literally just called in all of these just... I wouldn't even call them favors because we just really just relied on everything. And, and we had just... It was all stabs in the dark. And mm. when we were getting closer and everything was booked out, we were like, I think we can actually do this. I think this is actually going to be a thing. Yeah. But it still, to this day, feels surreal. Yeah. And... Um, and it's really proven to both of us that really if we want to do something, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I don't think that's an arrogant thing. I think anyone can do the yeah. same thing that we have. No, and I, I think, think... I think it's it's true of anything. If you bust your ass, then yeah. you know, the payoff will come. Yeah. And we work so hard and we're in one of the two places all the time. And we just want to keep doing more. Mm. So... I think all of those things that got us to here, it's just been just amazing because it, it, yeah, like I said, it just still kind of feels surreal. Yeah. And and that people are recognizing, you know, and from all over the world now, knowing and wearing the little eat vegan badges yeah, and yeah, just, it's so crazy. Yeah. So I guess, you know, the most pr- current thing there then is this cookbook that you guys are working on. Yeah. So how how did that come about and how has it sort of developed from from owning these, you know, a restaurant and a deli and how did that sort of link it all together? So it was always the plan to not just have one location. Mm-hmm. We we're always going to have more than one. And it's been a really cool progression because we knew we wanted to do a book. And especially with Shannon cooking vegan food for like 15, 20 years now and, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that from a from a st- very realistic standpoint of like she's got to get these things out there because they are her like holy grails of creation sure, yeah, like yeah. coming up with vegan aioli when pff, the thought of vegan mayo is like laughable yeah to now there's there is quite a lot of alternatives out there and she just happens to make this really epic aioli and it's like okay well we've got to do something about this mm-hmm. and we talked a lot especially cuz we're really fortunate to have Callum who is a designer and He's done a couple books and we're like, you know what? We're just going to self-publish. Yeah. We know what we want to convey. We know that we would maybe be misunderstood if we went with a publisher. Mm -hmm. And just that we want it to be us as well and lifestyle as well as food and have it be really fun. A book that we'd want to read. Sure. Because that's the whole thing. The restaurant is a place where we would want to eat and the deli is a place that we would want to shop. And I think there's a lot of conforming that happens going back to music, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the restaurant world and a lot of people giving customers what they want. And there's a, there is a, you know, we do give customers what they want, but there's a lot of like, would we stand for that? Would we yeah, yeah. want to be a part of that? And so the cookbook was amazing because we had been approached by other publishers and they just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. What we were trying to do. I mean, the, the day a publisher knocks on your door and says that I want to publish a book is like the one you fall out of your chair because you're like, sorry, how do you even know who I am? That's crazy. Yeah. And you look at their other titles and their other authors and you're like, holy moly, am I going to have a book up there with, you know, so-and-so? And then you realize that they want you to have a book that's in papyrus font and covered in <laughs> ivy and... Great. Oh, you guys like, are vegan? Let me show you this font. Yeah. <laughs> I got this font for you. And like, talk about, you know, chicks and <laughs> not like hot chicks, like little baby chickens. And and I think that, you know, that's never been our mm. message. And we think that we convey a really strong ethical message in a lot of, in a, diff, a totally different way. And we think sure. it's really powerful. And why would we sacrifice that? This book that's going to communicate sort of everything of who we are. And so why would we go with that? And then there was another publisher who um, multiple times called Shannon Sharon. So we were definitely not going to go with them. (laughs) I was like, how am I going to tell this story? Um, But then when Hardy Grant came along, it was a really excitable um, gal who just totally understood. And she said, we need to... We need to do something and it's going to be different. And, you know, it was one of those things where we still had to do a lot of explaining of 
the exact concept, but they were so open and receptive to mm. everything. And, you know, Callum is doing some of the designing on the book, but we sat down with our um, managing coordinator and like our main editor and our designer and Callum and they were just so, they just got it. You know, we yeah, were all yeah. on the same page and he was like, and what about like this black metal thing and upside down crosses and, you know, um, that Barassa Valley ad with um, the Nick Cave and it's yeah. really meaty and bloody and we're like, yes! <laughs> and we're like, yes! That is what a vegan book in 2016 by Shannon Martinez and Mo Wise needs to look like. Yeah. Because we want it to be something that stands out in any section of the, you know, cooking section, not just the vegan section. It's like, yeah, yeah. we want, we want, like, and I think that's how the restaurant stands out. You know, you can be in there having a really nice meal, not even knowing that it's a vegan meal. And then you're enlightened to the fact that a vegan meal can be really fulfilling and delicious. And the cookbook's going to be the same way. You're mm. reading the book and you're really fascinated by, you know, whatever element of the book that you're reading, two gals who just had a dream and they had to follow it and or the element of like this really beautiful really captivating dark and moody and meaty looking not meat yeah and yeah. or the element of like here's some people i can actually relate to because there's all these little quirky elements of like personal items that are infused throughout it that makes us and the book really real so mm. It's really, it's been an awesome project. We're still working on it, but it's, yeah. it's like, I think, I think maybe this is an opportunity to convey a really strong lesson of like, never sacrifice your vision. Yeah. Because even if you think you have a really awesome opportunity presented to you, mm. like, you know, you talked about like walking on the street and be, random guy going, hey, Aaron, I've got something for you. <laughs> yeah. You would never go with it because you're like. You have nothing to do with me or anything that I'm working with. But just because an, a proposition is made to you and it sounds really exciting and special doesn't mean that you have to choose it. And yeah, yeah. I think that's how Shannon and I have always worked. And we've always said, you know, like, don't sacrifice your vision. And just, like, if it comes down to the details of the black napkins, you have to have black napkins. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Why, would you, why would you have anything else? No, exactly. And and work towards what you think is going to be the realist representation of, you know, the goal that you have right. or the vision that you have. Totally. Yeah. And that is a lot of that, I think, is a lot of that mentality of like that hardcore music. Like you just you just put everything into it. It's perseverance and yeah. it's just there's no other way. Mm. And so this book was like a really amazing shiny or it is. Because it's, it's due to come out in December, November, and then, you know, around for the old holiday season. Mm-hmm. We Great Christmas were, gifts. Well, see, thank you. We were... <laughs> thanks for the plug. We yep. were gotcha. offered the deal to be releasing in March 2017 because no authors ever turn around their manuscripts and their recipes that soon. So we're working with a really loose timeline, but it's a really realistic timeline. And we're like, fuck that. Yeah. We're going to have this out by the end of the year. We just bust out. What can we do to make that happen? Yeah. So, you know, Shannon, who's never written recipes down ever mm-hmm. in any place she's ever worked. First time ever. Literally, like, I mean, I measure things. This is her. I measure things in raptor claws. And she, like, literally takes her hand and makes a, a pinch of her thumb and all of her other fingers. And she, like, pinches whatever it is. And then she's like, see, raptor claw. And then she puts it in the pot. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, raptor claw, that's like, you know, a universal measurement. But so (laughs) raptor claws then had to become tablespoons. And there was a lot of really fun workshopping time where she's literally at her stove at her house. And I'm on the other side of the breakfast bench just typing whatever she's making. And it was such a cool collaborative process because she, I think, and I think a lot of people agree, she's, she's so, she's like a creative food science genius magician Mm -hmm. like she's doing things that other people aren't doing yeah because she's thinking of things in a totally unconventional way she's not consulting books or google or anything they're all really authentic Mm. ideas so then to actually have this person that's not in that logistical way of writing things down having to be forced into putting that down test them 
create them to make them picture perfect. I mean, the, the whole thing has been a really awesome lesson in like, these are realistic things that you have to do. Mm. And it's just been all part of the process and really fun. Yeah, that's great. Like the hard work that would be pretty hellacious has been so much fun. Mm. but you know the hard part is actually the manuscript i'm working on it now and it's like how do you even put into words how much fun we've had this whole process <laughs> and really how hard it's been and all the lessons we've learned and yeah so wish me luck creative <laughs> writing well good luck with it <laughs> um all right well i think that's a pretty good place to leave it good note to leave oh, it on thanks good chat you did plug the book so we got the book in, we got the book in. <laughs> no uh thank you very much for having me on here i was really nervous i have to say my pleasure how did it go you feel fine now oh so fine especially this amazing magnificent um blue couch that i'm sitting on has been really comfortable it's good it's a uh, cute couch you can thank duck for that one. Oh, duck thanks for your couch <laughs> it's made this um anxious experience really lovely and i think that I, I, I think the reason I was so nervous to come on is because I think that anyone can do what we're doing. And I always say, like, how, how are we any special from anybody else? Because I think everyone's doing something yeah. really special. And so thanks for sort of recognizing that. My pleasure. Thank you so much for coming and doing it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Awesome. <laughs>